In the name of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier, Amen. Please be seated. So this past week, I've been reading a book called The Great Divorce. And I'm not talking about a self-help book. I'm talking about the book by C.S. Lewis, which some of you might be familiar with, in which the narrator dreams of traveling on a bus from hell to heaven. He queues up in the gray eternal twilight of hell with an unruly group of agitated passengers. And then when they arrive, they disembark into a brilliantly clear heaven bursting with the promise of impending sunrise. Each character on the bus is met upon their arrival by someone they knew on earth, someone who had been sent to be their guide and show them that they could stay in heaven if they chose. But most of the characters throughout the book get back on the bus and return to hell. And I wondered, why is that? What are the reasons why we refuse to be healed? For that is what happens if they are to stay in heaven, is they need to be open to God's healing, and then they can stay. And why is it that sometimes we assume that some people are deserving of healing and others are not? Because some of the characters on this bus make side comments to the narrator about the inappropriateness of other passengers who they assume to be riffraff while they clearly are meant to be on the journey. And they make side comments about who is going to stay and who will not. So they already have these assumptions about what will happen when they arrive in heaven. And then I wondered based on our reading this morning, how is it that we live in a world that puts parameters on healing? That the healing can only happen in an appropriate time and place within the laws of religion and society. Now, when we talk about healing, it's not a fluffy, happy thing. Joy comes through healing, but the process of healing can be very painful. And these ghosts who are on this bus, when they arrive in heaven, they are transparent and they cannot even walk on the grass because it hurts them. Heaven in its glory, it's blinding, it's bright, it's clean. It's too much. It's too real. Because on that journey, just as the bus is arriving, the narrator can see the light coming in the sky and, and, and reaches over and opens the bus window to let in this fresh air. And the rest of the bus jumps up and rushes over and shuts the window and immediately starts to rebuke him for letting in the fresh air and the light. And indeed, when they get off the bus, even the narrator himself calls it a cruel light in which everything is illuminated and nothing is hidden. To heal, 
We must be willing to let in that cruel light. And it's not intended to be cruel. It feels cruel because it illuminates the parts of ourselves that we do not like. The parts of ourselves that we have covered up or excused. The ones that we carry with us and we turn. We don't want God to see our ego, our sin, our self-righteousness, our assumptions, our self-justifications, our cynicism, our materialism, whatever ism you want to call that you personally carry. Those are the things that we, we keep close and we keep them in the dark. And so when that light of God illuminates them, we don't want it to be seen. And it's uncomfortable when every single part is there in front of God. And yet that is what separates us from that healing love that God is offering us. And each of these characters in this book wrestle with the choice of whether or not they will accept God's healing or reject it and return to hell. And so as I was thinking about these questions, I began to see the kind of diagram that floats around social media these days, often for political things or all sorts of other things in which it looks like a mind map where it, it asks the question at the top, like, are we open to being healed? If yes, then there's a little arrow and then there's something. If no, and there's another arrow and it gives you another. So we're going to do a little journey like that. So... Are you open to being healed? Let's assume that you're open to being healed. We're, we make that choice ourselves that we're open to it. And in our reading today, I am making an assumption that the woman who was healed by Jesus made that choice in her soul. Now, we don't know that interaction in its entirety. We have Jesus touching the woman and her being healed. We do not know what passed between them. We do not see whether or not they had eye contact. Did she shudder? Did she warm to his touch? Did she try to move away? Did she move quickly towards him when he approached her? We do not know. But we do know that she did not run away. She was open to being healed and she was healed, which meant she had to let go of 18 years of being bent over and crippled. And that permanency of 18 years probably felt much more familiar than the healing that was going to occur because it was known. So in order for us to allow that healing to happen, as this woman did, she made that choice. We have to be able to let go of the past. We have to be able to let go of, of eagle, ego and hierarchical expectations of how we live in this world of who is who. And who deserves things and, and who doesn't and who has more status. And the characters struggle with this in the book because that's their framework and they don't understand why heaven doesn't operate that way. We have a character who gets off the bus and he runs into a colleague who was a murderer on earth. And this character is appalled because the murderer is in heaven and this character is in hell. 
and he cannot understand how he was such a good person on earth and how the murderer could have surpassed him and landed in heaven first. And he's so angry and this colleague looks at him and says, I had to give up myself. I had to give up myself after the murder and that is what did it for me. And that's how everything began. The giving up of oneself and letting the light shine in on that sin of murder. And yet the character from the bus is hanging on to his resentment and anger and his self-righteousness about who deserves healing and who doesn't. And he cannot come to grips with any other possibility. And he ends up getting back on the bus because he cannot accept something different. He cannot accept no hierarchy, no control, no power. He can't accept that he didn't earn heaven by, by being good and, and being self-righteous on earth. You don't earn heaven. This is not an economic transaction with God. God doesn't pick and choose based on our performance down here, a hierarchy of how we get there. It's a choice instead about whether or not we are open to God's love and healing. And that means because it's our choice that that is available to every single person. And so any sort of premise that only some people deserve to be healed is not valid. And if we can get to that place of accepting God's deep love for us, all of us, without earning it or deserving it, that's when healing happens. And when that happens for us on this earth, we are returned to be human beings. Because most of the time we are living as human doings. We do this and we do that and we earn this and we earn that. And God is asking us to be human beings. So let's ask a different question. What if we believe we cannot be healed? I've had moments. I'm sure we have all had moments when we have doubted something, doubted that God could, could heal us or a situation. And sometimes when we are living in that place of not believing that healing is possible, we can fall into different traps. One that we can fall into is the trap of tearing down others to the level at which we are at. If we believe that, that something cannot be healed, that we cannot be healed, we will take others down with us. And we, I call this the kamikaze approach. And sometimes it actually masquerades as us doing something in someone else's best interest. We take someone down a peg for their own good or we, we teach them a lesson. But it's really about our selfish interest to bring them back down to our level. Because if we are struggling, if we are suffering, then other people should too. Indeed, that's often the excuse used for hazing. And we're right in that time of year where students are going back to college and we know that colleges in the fall or boarding schools have struggled over the years with student hazing. And that is the kind of messaging that hazing gives, that we make others suffer just as we have because that's how it's done. 
But perhaps, maybe when you don't believe that you can be healed or I can't believe, maybe instead of the kamikaze approach, we fall into the trap of shame. We are afraid that others will see just how terrible we really are and that everyone else is worthy to be healed but not us. Go away, squealed the ghost. Go away. Can't you see I want to be alone? But you need help, said the spirit. If you had the least trace of decent feeling left, said the ghost, you'll keep away. I don't want help. I want to be left alone. Do go away. You know, I can't walk fast enough on these horrible spikes to get away from you. It's abominable of you to take advantage. And the spirit says to the ghost, you can lean on me all the way. I can't absolutely carry you, but you need to have almost no weight on your own feet and it will hurt less at every step. And the spirit reaches out to the ghost with an arm and the ghost reaches out and then pulls back and says, but I tell you, they'll see me. Everyone will see me, see how terrible I am. I'll be completely vulnerable. People will see my shame. And the spirit says an hour hence and you will not care. Don't you remember on earth that when things were too hot to the touch with your finger and yet you could drink them all the way? That's what shame is like. If you accept it and drink the cup to the bottom, you will find it nourishing. You will face it. You will be freed. Shame, when hidden, becomes bigger, becomes darker, overwhelms us. And yet, if we let that light in that will feel so cruel at first, the shame will be conquered by God's love. And we will be free from that prison of shame that limits us from accepting God's healing. So we've talked about Traps we fall into if we don't believe in that we could be healed. We've talked about belief in healing and what we need to overcome in order to accept that from God. And then there's the other question. And that's the question around if we can grasp that healing is possible, if we can believe in it, why do we put parameters around it like the leader of the synagogue? Now, it does say in Isaiah today that... Don't do things for your self-interest on the Sabbath. And the leader of the synagogue is charged with holding a community together and making sure they adhere to particular religious laws. So he has a, a role. He has a duty. And yet Jesus rebukes him for trying to pr- place rules around when healing can happen. And I think the leader of the synagogue had a real human moment there. Because we as human beings live in a world of finitude. We cannot grasp the magnitude and infinity of God. And so in our finite existence, we put limits on God. The way we experience our own limits in our lives. And we do that because being in a world in which we have finitude, it means there's only a certain amount of things available. So based on booming population based on climate 
change based on all these things. We're constantly calculating our survival, which means that everything must be limited. That's an assumption. There will never be enough. So how could we possibly grasp that God's love and God's healing has no limit? And indeed, when they queue up at the bus stop in hell and they're waiting in line and the bus rolls up, they're already worrying about that. We shall never all get in, whines a woman in line. And then they all pile into the bus and they're fighting to get into the bus as if there's not enough space, even though when they get on the bus, it's only half full. There's already an assumption before they even get on the bus to heaven that there won't be room for everybody. There's a limited space. And not only is it about our finitude that we try to put parameters around God's healing and who God is, but frankly, healing is terrifying. It's glorious and it's terrifying because we have no control over it. We have no idea what really happened. There's some glorious news today of of someone who has a tumor, cancerous tumor that is gone from her brain. Tremendous, joyous, and terrifying how God did that. God's reality is overwhelming to us because it is so hard to grasp. These characters, when they arrive in heaven, are overwhelmed with how real everything is and how transparent and thin their lives on earth really were. And the narrator near the end of this novel, who has watched throughout the journey as he's around in heaven, all these different characters and which ones get back on the bus and which ones stay. And he witnesses all these internal struggles and their choice around accepting God's healing, asks his guide about whether or not everyone in hell has an opportunity to get on the bus. And his guide says, everyone who wishes it does, never fear. There are only two kinds of people in the world. In the end, those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. For no soul that seriously and consciously desires joy will ever miss it. And at present, the guide says to the narrator, your business is to see. And that is exactly What Jesus is calling us to do this morning is to see, to be, to open our eyes, to learn how God heals, to be open to that by letting go of patterns that deny, derail, limit, or sabotage that love that will come in and illuminate and heal us. To get us to the place to say to God, Thy will be done. Even though it may be painful and terrifying in the journey to let go and trust that it's even possible. And in saying thy will be done. We can embrace the gift of Jesus. 
whose healing is unlimited, indeed abundant, always present and always free. Amen.